I might have to move from this spot because there's going to be visuals uh, with this sermon, and I'm not sure if I can stand here uh, with the, the overhead on, uh, but we'll find out in a moment. <laughs> um, sometimes uh, a few words can make all of the difference. Sometimes a few words can make all of the difference in the world. Uh, some of you have heard before um, the story of how I, I came to ask Louise to marry me. Um, I know that it was in the late afternoon. Um, I wish I could remember the time precisely. I know that it was the 15th of May, 1981. And um, so for the, the purpose of this, it, let's say it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I, um, I said to Louise, Louise, will you marry me? Uh, just five words, Louise, will you marry me? Five simple words. And um, she's, uh, she's right about most things, and she claims that she just waited a few seconds. I'm sure it was like 15 minutes. It felt like forever. I, I wouldn't have asked her to marry me if I didn't think she'd say yes. But, of course, there's always that little bit of a doubt that she might say no. And, uh, and then she said to me very properly, she said, um, you should be on your knees, and I thought about that for a few seconds, and I knew that she was worth it. And uh, so I got on my knees, and I asked a second time, uh, Louise, will you marry me? And then I'm, I'm sure there was a 15-minute wait, but uh, she says it was only a few seconds, and she's probably correct. And then she said yes. And, um, you know, if that all happened at, at 4 o'clock, I know it was the late afternoon of the 15th of May, 1981, um, uh, life for Louise and me was very different at 3.55 on the 15th of May than it was at 4.05 in the 15th of May. And, uh, and the difference hanged around five simple words and then uh, the response of yes. Uh, today, I'm going to do something which is a little bit different for me and for this church I'm going to share with you very briefly the basic Christian story. And at the end of sharing with you the very basic Christian story, uh, I'm going to invite those who have not uh, invited Jesus into their life to invite Jesus into their life. Uh, some of you might have been coming to this church for a while, and you've heard sermons on this and on that. And, uh, and, and maybe you're like me, uh, that you felt a uh, you know, quite a few years ago, you felt an increasing drawing and attraction towards Christ, and you just weren't maybe quite sure um, how to sort of close the deal or how to cross that threshold or how to turn the corner. And it's it's my privilege and honor to share with you the Christmas, the Christian story, and then at the end of it, just describe bri briefly how you turn that corner. And at the same time as I do this, I'm going to also be sharing for those of us who are Christians how it is that you share the gospel. Uh, you know, the, first of all, we, the thing we have to understand fundamentally is that there's only one evangelist. It's not Billy Graham. It's not the Pope. There's only one evangelist, and it's God. Uh, God is the one who, whose Holy Spirit moves in, in lives and draws people to himself. And so the, the first thing I'd like to encourage each of you is uh, those of you who uh, have given your life to Christ, that you have a fundamental obligation to pray for people who have not yet come to faith in Jesus. Just pray for them. Maybe it's some cousins. Uh, maybe it's some family members. Maybe it's your best friend. Uh, maybe it's some of your uh, people you work with. Or uh, just 
God has put people in your path and he's calling you to pray for them that they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I would just like to encourage you that you do that. And then maybe one day after you've been praying for your best friend, maybe you're, you, know, you go back to home to work for four months and you, you've decided you're going to pray for your best friend and you're working with your best friend and then one of the scariest things in the world happens uh, three and a half months after you've been praying for them. One day during lunch they say, you're a Christian, eh? And you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they say, like, what's this Christian thing all about? And what would you have to do to become a Christian? And, and for many people, that would be one of the scariest things that could happen. Somebody asked you that question, and now you have to sort of give a bit of an answer. And, uh, well, maybe what we'll do today will help you with that. If you could put the first thing up, Kendra. Uh, one of the things, uh, this, this little model that I'm going to be sharing with you is something that was actually developed by an Anglican. He's now the dean of the cathedral in Sydney, Australia. And uh, his name is Philip Jensen. And um, sometimes if you want to share the gospel with something, something that can be very helpful is if you have a pen with you and uh, there's some napkins and stuff around, you can just draw a couple of simple little pictures uh, which will help to communicate uh, the story which you're telling. And uh, if you're really, 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 really on top of it, you can have some Bible verses that you've memorized, um, uh, because it's always helpful to be able to try to show people that it's not just you making this up, but it's, it's, um, it's ultimately God's Word. In your bulletins, there's an insert which gives you these different diagrams, which, um, which Nat has kindly generated for me. So if you just have this little uh, napkin, you just sort of... Um, Right, this big crown and a, a person standing there on the earth. And, uh, and, and the Christian story begins with this, that God was originally, God is the one who's created all things. And when God created all things in the original creation, um, well, it was wonderful. God had his kingly rule and authority over the entire created order, and the entire created order was completely and utterly at peace uh, human, uh, humans would have been in complete communion with God, perfect fellowship with God, closeness with God. The book of Genesis even describes it in, in the terms of a, like a wonderful picture story that it would be as if every day God came from heaven and said, George, let's go for a walk. And it would be as if your very best friend, the best friend you could ever possibly imagine, just wanted to go for a little stroll with you in an absolutely beautiful setting and just chat about your day. And this picture from the book of Genesis describes what was the original intention in creation. Uh, uh, the book of Revelation, which describes the final things, has this simple verse which describes um, what was originally intended. It's Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. And uh, if you'd like to try to follow along as I started, we're going to look at like, one scripture verse which he, with each of these pictures and it's on page 1063 if you're using your pew Bibles, and it's Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. And here's um, angels are singing this hymn of praise, and they sing, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. See, so here you have, in a sense, the original picture that um, God has created all things, his kingly rule goes throughout all the created things, and there's just harmony and there's peace, and, and God is acknowledged as God. Well, if there's one thing we all know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that that's not the way the world is today. 
Far from it. You just have to, you can't read the newspaper or listen to the news or even look at your own life in the mirror and know that that does not describe the way that the world is today. Kendra, if you could put up the second slide. The second picture shows what's happened to human beings. And one of the things which God created in us human beings is freedom, free will. And we human beings have used our free will to turn our back on God. And in fact, we've turned our back on God and we've decided that we're going to live as if God doesn't exist and we want to be the rulers and the kings of our own lives. In a sense, we've said, God doesn't exist and I want his job. And uh, that's the motto of, of, of human beings. God doesn't exist and I want his job. And so in this picture, we can see the big crown representing God. And before there was God and people over the earth, and now we have God crossed off. The earth is still there, and human beings are off to the side with their own little tiny crown. And uh, we walk through this life um, being our own kings and our own uh, rulers. And um, there's two Bible verses which talk about this. More than two, but these two sort of point you to it. The first one is a very hard verse, and it's very hard for people to accept. Uh, But it's Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. If you want to use your pew Bibles, it's page 976. And um, Paul here is uh, is quoting from uh, from the Old Testament. And here's what it says, page 976, Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. It's a very, very hard text, but it's trying to describe how human beings, there's every human being is like this. They've, in a sense, put a big X through God and his authority And we've decided that we will have a crown that we put over our own heads, and we will walk around as if we are little gods. Just continue in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 23, and this sort of brings the matter home. Romans 3.23, a simple verse, easy to memorize. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what's the consequence? If Kendra, if you could put up the third one. What's the consequence of us using our freedom to turn our back on God. Um, I'm no scientist. You all know that. I'm an arts guy. And, um, and, uh, but if, you had, if I was to have a table here as a demonstration and I was to have uh, you know, six or seven or eight pieces of iron um, and uh, I was to pick up one of the pieces of iron and press it to another piece of iron, nothing would happen. If I picked up you know, the piece that I'm holding, I pick it up, the iron just stays there. Iron doesn't connect to iron unless it's glued or welded or something. But if I was to take a very powerful magnet and I was to reach down and put that magnet on a piece of iron, the, the magnet would pick up the piece of iron. And, and then, I, I know enough science to know this, that if I was to then take the, the, the magnet holding the iron and I was to touch a second piece of iron, the magnetism flows through the magnet into the iron and in fact it can pick up a second piece of iron. Now, there's engineers here, and, and some of you folks, you could tell me, depending, I guess, on the quality of the iron and the power of the magnet, how many pieces of iron we could pick up. And every piece of iron would be picked up, all because that very first iron piece of iron is firmly connected to the magnet. And what Christians believe is this, 
that uh, when we human beings turned our back on God and we decided to be our own kings and our own gods, that's what's called sin. It's called rebellion. It means that evil has entered into the world. And it's because of that that we have disunity, we have crime, uh, that, that we, in a sense, are inwardly broken ourselves and that we know within ourselves that things aren't just right within ourselves and it's not right within the world and it all flows not because of God but because we as human beings turned our backs on God and have decided to live on our own terms. And one of the consequences of that decision beyond evil is actually even the existence of death because... And you imagine this piece of, uh, you can imagine the magnet, you can imagine the iron, and if I was to take that first piece of iron and I was to pull it away from the magnet, what happens? All of the iron falls apart. And so that when we turned our back on God, and then evil enters into the world, and death follows from that, as our soul lost its communion with God, then all of the breaking, including ultimately the breaking of our body from our soul, which is death, that was to enter into the world. And death is a sign of our rebellion against God. And it's also a pointer to the possibility that we could spend, that that could be, in a sense, the final word about us, that on into eternity, that we would be, in a sense, under God's judgment, that brokenness and diminishment would be the final word about us under his judgment, that death would only be the beginning of the final word about us. Now, friends, if that was on one level, there is nothing more real about the world than what I've just described. If there's one thing that is incontrovertibly true is that there is death, that death seems to rule, that there is sin, and that no matter what type of perfect system has been developed, it doesn't seem to deal with these fundamental conditions, and that there are no perfect people. And if all I was able to share with you, and even though I could show that it was empirically true, it would be the worst news in the world. But the Christian story is called the good news, not the bad news. It's the gospel, not depression. And the good news comes with this fourth slide, and that is, and by the way, in that earlier slide, we saw the little tiny crown over the person, the person that was, the person was lying dead. That was what I was trying to describe. In the fourth picture here, we see uh, God's plan. And in God's plan, he sends his son Jesus to earth. Throughout the years, God had sent different prophets to warn people uh, to turn from their ways and to, to make a promise that someday one who would come from God who would be the mighty deliverer. And Christians believe that God had this plan to send this mighty deliverer. And this person, Jesus, was one who was able to perform mighty miracles. And he was able to, to talk of God in intimate terms. And he was able to clearly express what was right and wrong. And his teaching and his stories had great power. But, but ultimately, as we saw in the gospel text today, Jesus And Jesus came, and he is the only person who's ever lived completely and utterly a perfect life. He lived under the kingly authority and rule of God, and he never sought his own tiny crown. He never sought to turn his back on God, but he lived a perfect life of obedience under God's kingly rule. And in that context, he performed miracles. He did many, many mighty things. 
And yet the very same man who could walk on water, who could feed thousands from a few loaves of bread, the very, very same man who could speak a word and call a dead man back to life, the very, very same man who could do all of these things, he died. And we Christians believe that Jesus didn't die because of anything that he had done that was wrong. It wasn't because, you know, he was doing really, really good, and then one day he just sort of slipped up, and and powerful people were sort of able to jump on him and overwhelm him. We Christians believe that Jesus, out of obedience to God and out of love for you and me, that he came to this earth not only to live a perfect life and not only to perform those miracles and not only to, to give mighty teachings, but he came to die. He came to die upon the cross as our substitute. Some of you have heard the story before of a time in my life when substitution was made very real. It was the, the story of, I, it was in grade eight, and I was supposed to have done a French speech, and it was time to give our, our presentations. And, um, and I, I, I was completely, utterly unprepared, and I am terrible at French, was then and worse now. And... Um, and um, and uh, one day the teacher said, well, before we're going to give these, these French speeches, it wouldn't be fair to go alphabetical or reverse alphabetical order like I do every other week. There's 32 kids in the class. I'm going to put, I've put 32 pieces of paper in a hat, and each piece of paper has number one, then number two, number three, 32 pieces, each with a different number from one to 32. We'll pass the hat, and as you take a number out of the hat, that will be your order. And she said, is that a fair thing to do? And everybody in the class, including me, said, that's completely and utterly fair. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm like those that watch that, that show, Deal, No Deal. And, you know, like I'm thinking, what are the odds of something really bad happening? You know, four kids a day. Uh, I have only one odd and eight that I'm going to have to do anything today. I can, you know, I'm, I was completely and utterly comfortable. And as the hat came to me, and I t- took the number out of the hat to my horror I had number one. And um, I had been really carefree and smiling and laughing, uh, but now I knew that my doom was upon me and that there was absolutely nothing that I was going to be able to do because I was unprepared and unskilled at French. And I had been presumptuous, just assuming that I had one or two more nights to work on this thing. I had done nothing. So the teacher says with a nice, bright you know, teacherly type of, like as if we're doing something really fun and exciting. Okay, who's next? Who's number one? And I had to put my hand up, and I said, I am number one. And she said very brightly and enthusiastically, like good teachers are, well, George, you come on up to the class and give us your speech. And I had to say, I can't do my speech. I have not done anything to prepare. I can't do it. And she said, George, just come up and at least try. And I say, I I can't even try. And I am just, I was completely and utterly flummoxed and defeated by this. And so the teacher said, well, George, we all agreed that this is the fair way to go. You agreed that this was the fair way to go. And I have to either give you zero unless there's somebody in the room who would be willing to trade their number with your number. And, uh, and they took number one. And she said, is there anybody in the class like this? And Ricky, of blessed memory, who had number 16 said, I am willing to come and give George my number 16, and he can take my number. I will give him my number 16, and I will take his number one. And he walked across the class and dropped 16 on my desk, and he went up to the front and he did the speech. He was my substitute. He traded places with me. 
And the wonder, wonderful good news of the gospel is the gospel doesn't deny that there is evil. It doesn't deny that there is death. In fact, it says that we human beings should wake up to the reality of death and the reality of evil and the, and the impossibility for us to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps, our impossibility of changing ourselves, and we should understand that what this points to is that we need a Savior. And at the heart of that saving work, there has to be substitution. We don't need another example. Like, how many of us need to see another unbelievably fit person telling us how we can lose weight and look like them? Like, we don't need another example, you know? And on top of that, they're just fantastically perfect. They can cook. They can fix things. They never do anything wrong. We don't need another example. We need a Savior who is a substitute. And Christians believe that Jesus came lived perfectly under God's kingly rule and authority, uh, and never broke fellowship with God, and that Jesus came not only to do that, but more importantly, that he came to die upon the cross, and that he came, and in his death, he says to George, and he says to each one of us, he says, I am willing to trade places with you, And I will take your place and suffer the consequences of all your actions and all your rebellion. And you can take my place of unbroken fellowship with God. It's what the Bible teaches. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And it's on page... Nine hundred and and nine. Sorry, that's First Corinthians, Second <laughs> Corinthians five verse twenty one, and it's on page a thousand and two, the very last verse. Second Corinthians five twenty one on page a thousand and two. For God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. In other words, to trade places with us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's this wonderful news of, of, uh, of, of exchange, of substitution. Please put up the next slide. And, uh, and, and the good news continues. You see, we Christians believe that not only did Jesus die upon the cross and taste all there is and, and die, in a sense, bearing my punishment and my sin, that it wasn't an accident. It wasn't as if the bad Romans or the bad religious people somehow were able to overwhelm Jesus, but Jesus willingly entered into this out of love for you and me, willing to be our substitute, willing to trade places with us. And Jesus, after tasting everything there is to taste of death, with nothing left over on the third day, uh, he emerged on the far side of death, Because he had never sinned, death could ultimately not hold him or swallow him. And on the third day, he he arrived or arose on the far side of death, having defeated sin, having defeated death, which is a sign of sin. And we also believe all hostile spiritual powers, anything which separates us from God, is defeated by the person of Jesus. And he rose from the dead, and he sits at God's right hand. It's why, you see, we don't talk about him as an historical person. We don't talk about him like we might have talked about Napoleon. Or we might, we, we might even talk about a holy person like Augustine or St. Teresa of Avila. We don't talk about God as at Jesus as if he's in the past. We know that he's alive. And, um, 
and Jesus invites us to share in his triumph. He invites us to share in his triumph, and he can hear us when we speak. And we Christians believe that one day he will return, and the work of salvation which he had begun by allowing our souls to be reconnected to God, and yet we still see things which aren't right in the world, and the work of salvation which he has begun by allowing our souls to be connected to God, that God himself, through the Holy Spirit, would actually make his home within mortals like you and me, that one day Jesus will return and fix the entire created order. And in the meantime, he invites us to share in his triumph and learn to live under the kingly rule of God, not now purely from our own strength, but with, the, with God himself, the Holy Spirit, actually living in us. Let's look at a passage of scripture uh, which talks about this, and it's Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, verses, the sort of the second half of 26, right up till the end of the chapter, just two and a half verses. Page 1040. And um, Hebrews uh, 9, uh, 26b, so to speak, and so it's beginning at the third line where it says this, but now, once, at the end of the ages, Jesus has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Kendra, if you could put up the the final one. So friends, today we have a choice before us. And this is illustrated by these two uh, drawings on... um, my right, on, on the left-hand side, as you look at this, you see the state of human beings apart from Christ, and a little tiny crown over our heads, and we go through life, and we go through world saying, uh, we're, uh, we're going to live as if God does not exist, and I want his job. And on the right-hand side is the person who has made the choice to leave the left-hand side and move to the right-hand side to live under the the kingly rule of Jesus, trusting Jesus as Savior and learning to allow him to be the Lord. And and the gospel message is that no matter uh, what your state of affairs is on the left hand, uh, Jesus will never cast you out. And it uh, it would make God... I mean, the the Bible says that the angels throw a party in heaven. (laughs) when any person decides to move from the left-hand side there to the right. And you know what? There is no better time than today to listen to the words and heed the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son to the end that all that believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There is no better time than right now to move from the left side to the right side. And how do you do that? Remember I said to you earlier on that um, my life was different at 3.55 p.m. the 15th of May, 1981, than it was at 4.05 p.m. May 15th, 1981. 
and the difference was five simple words which I said to my wife, Louise, will you marry me? <laughs> and sometimes a few words make all the difference in the world. And, it, you know, it's, um, it's as if right now God, uh, through his son Jesus Christ, is standing at the, at the very, very, in a sense, he's standing in front of you and he's knocking on the door to your heart and the door to your life, and he's saying, you know, I would like to come in and make this offer of being your substitute, of being your savior. I would like you to enter into my triumph. And Jesus stands and he knocks and he knocks and he knocks. And it's up to us to open the door and allow him to come in. And the way we open the door of our hearts and allow him to come in is to say a simple prayer to God that involves three very, very simple concepts which we're all familiar with. Sorry, thank you, and please. Anybody who understands what these three things mean has all of the power that they need to ask Jesus to move from the left to the right-hand side of that picture. And so there's no better time than today to say to God something like this, Father, I am sorry that I have been living my life as if I am my own God. Father, I am sorry that I have been living my life apart from you. And then to say to him, Father, thank you that you had a plan that could save me. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be my Savior. And then say, please, Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. Make your home within me and help me to learn uh, to live under your authority. To say sorry, thank you, and please. Very few words. It can be your own words, your own way of saying sorry, your own way of saying thank you, your own way of saying please. But I can tell you right now that no one who says that to God will he say no to you. And there is no better time than right now to do that. Could you please stand? There's uh, nothing magic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move over to the side here. There's, um, there's nothing magic about uh, leaving your pew, and there's nothing like this. I just know that sometimes it's really helpful for people. Um, maybe you're not sure whether you've ever done this before. Um, maybe you just really feel a compelled in your heart that you would like to have some public way of acknowledging that you would like to now come to Christ And uh, I'm going to allow a few seconds, and um, if you would like to pray that prayer, uh, I invite you to come up to the front, and I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you other than the fact that I invite you to come to the front, and I will say the prayer slowly, and uh, you are free to um, repeat the words after me, Um, and uh, there's no better time than today to give your life to Christ. And... um, so I'm just going to have a few, a few moments of silence. If you'd like to come forward, you can. Uh, if you're not sure if you can come forward, you're free to remain in your seats and say the prayer from there. But it can be very powerful to come forward.
wherever you're standing, if uh, this is the prayer of your heart, uh, just repeat silently the words after me. Said you can use your own words, but if you're not sure about your own words, you can uh, you can just borrow mine and make them your own. Father, I am sorry that I have lived apart from you, turned my back on you. Thank you, Father, that you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending a Savior. Please, Jesus, come to me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you that you will never leave. Pour your Holy Spirit upon me today. Jesus' name. Amen. Father, uh, thank you for the, the, the gift of your Son and the working of your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit fall afresh upon each of us. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ, may your Holy Spirit fall afresh upon us and draw us ever closer to yourself. And those, Father, still seeking after you, may your Holy Spirit move and work within them to draw them closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.